We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Boy, does it feel good walking around New York without a mask. And yes, getting to a baseball game or live music, just spending time with family and friends, has been liberating, but not so fast. The CDC says the Delta variant is on a fast pace to become the dominant strain of COVID-19 in the U.S. It is attributed to higher rates of severe illness and death among the unvaccinated and partially vaccinated. The renewed push comes as the highly contagious Delta variant of the coronavirus first discovered in India has now spread to at least 42 states. A month ago, the highly contagious Delta variant accounted for just over 2% of COVID cases in America. Now that number is up to 20%. How much of a worry is this Delta variant? Dr. Anthony Fauci told CBS This Morning this week. Well, it spreads much more efficiently than the virus that we've been used to over the last several months to a year. And also data from the UK indicate that it also is more dangerous and that it makes you more seriously ill. So the combination of a virus that spreads more rapidly and has the potential to make you more seriously ill is a threat we have to worry about. This week on 880 In-Depth, what we know about the Delta variant, why it makes getting the vaccine so important right now, and do we really need a federal commission on COVID-19 to explore what went wrong and what went right? There are 600,000 families who need answers and who have lost someone they love more and more than anything in this world. And I feel like we deserve closure. Welcome to 880 In-Depth. I'm Tim Scheldt. Are we reopening too fast? Do we risk a setback later in the year? We took those questions to Dr. Wafa El Sadr, a professor of epidemiology and medicine at the Columbia University Mailman School of Public Health. And our Peter Haskell asked her, What do you think of the wisdom of lifting the restrictions in New York? Well, it, um, I mean, clearly it, um, it sends a, a, a message of, of hope and a message of um, of um, and a message of, of light at the end of the tunnel for uh, for New Yorkers and uh, particularly based on what we've all what they've all all New Yorkers have endured over the past now almost fourteen or fifteen months. Uh, so that's important to recognize that we we are in a better place than we were even just a few months ago. Um, so that's I mean that's that's clearly important to recognize and I think will be a, a, 
you know, clear uh, morale boost for people to persevere and continue um, uh, throughout this um, uh, this pandemic. Uh, I think my concern is that whether you know, it, 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 it certainly gives the impression that the that the epidemic is gone, and uh, and that's what worries me. Is um, it it gives this there's this perception that we're back to normal. Uh, this is be, that this epidemic is behind us, and we should just move forward, you know. And uh, and it's done. And I mean, clearly, the epidemic is not done. <laughs> I think we we still have, even though low numbers of cases, but we still have transmission here in New York City, and we have a still a substantial proportion of our population not vaccinated. Uh, Last time I checked, about maybe about a third of adults in New York City are have not received even one dose of the vaccine, uh, and that's a substantial proportion. A third is is quite a, a large chunk of individuals um, uh, who are eligible for vaccination. Um, so that's worrisome because it means that even with these small numbers of cases, uh, they we could see some flare-ups or surges uh, because we still have a, a vulnerable, a substantial number of vulnerable uh, individuals within our midst. Um, so that's that's one area why I worry about uh, this announcement. The second is, you know, the, you know, we are a global community and especially New York City. I mean, New York City is connected to the world um, and, and the epidemic continues to to grow in many other parts of the world. Some of them are quite close to us, other countries. And and that worries me as well is that, uh, uh, you know, that we can't say that this epidemic is behind us while there are surges ongoing in many countries in South America, in parts of Europe, in parts of Asia, as well as also surges in Southern Africa now. So it may be, uh, again, premature when you think about um, the perspective of the globe and COVID-19 as a global uh, pandemic. At University Hospital in Newark, New Jersey, they have that global view as well. They have to. University Hospital is just a few miles away from Liberty International Airport, one of the biggest international hubs in the world. Our Peter Haskell stopped by the hospital this week for an in-person interview with the president and CEO Dr. Sharif El-Nahal. They started with the question, how are they doing? Well, I'm proud to say that we only have five patients with COVID-19 in the hospital. If you contrast that with the over 300 patients we had at one point, uh, basically occupying every one of our beds, uh, that is a huge improvement. And I think that improvement is largely attributable to uh, blockbuster vaccines uh, that confer historic levels of effectiveness and are overwhelmingly safe. And we've been able to make progress with vaccinating this community. We've delivered over 20,000 people vaccines just here in this community alone, and also hundreds of thousands more we've enabled through partnerships with FEMA, the city of Newark, the county of Essex, uh, and many other partners. And so uh, I'm proud of our role in that. Uh, Didn't happen by accident. Uh, Vaccination is uh, really the key to that progress. We've been hearing a lot about the Delta variant, which seems to be more transmissible. What do we know about Delta and what kind of concerns do you have? Well, we know it's 50% more transmissible than the UK variant, which is over 50% more transmissible than the original virus, which filled up our hospital last spring. And so it is a very dangerous variant. 
Um, it also is more severe, most likely. We have to wait for more studies to confirm that. But it's not only more transmissible, it appears to be worse for you and more likely to confer death and morbidity. And so uh, the good news is that the mRNA vaccines are very effective against the India variant, 88% effective, according to a public health study done by the UK. And so the biggest risk for you to be affected by the Delta variant or affected by COVID-19 altogether is not being vaccinated. And so we all have to make sure we sing to the same tune on the importance of vaccination. Even as we approach President Biden's 70 percent goal, every single additional person vaccinated not only protects that person, but it protects everybody that surrounds them. What is the vaccination rate here in Newark and in the community that you serve? So we're just about over 50% uh, of people in this city vaccinated. Uh, that is substantial progress from where we were before. The gap is closing between Newark and the general population in New Jersey, but we have to do a lot more. 50% is not enough. We want to come as close to herd immunity as possible. Herd immunity with these very severe variants is more likely to be closer to 80% than 70%. And so the entire country is not at herd immunity yet, but the closer you get, the better off we are. And so we're gonna continue the fight, celebrate the milestone, but continue the fight to vaccinate more people uh, going forward. Do we know whether the Delta variant is treated, can be treated with the same therapies? Do we know if the Delta variant, uh, if the vaccine works against Delta? Vaccine definitely works against Delta variant, especially the mRNA vaccines, as I mentioned, 88% effective, uh, but also same safety profile. And so I think that's important to mention. However, the therapies aren't as good. So the antibody therapy uh, uh, called Regeneron that President Trump took when he became ill with COVID-19 is shown to be much less effective uh, against the India variant. And so we have to wait for more data on remdesivir and some of the other therapies, but it's not encouraging that our therapies don't work against it as well. And so the best thing you can do is prevent it. And the best thing to prevent it is to get the vaccine. Do you have concerns about another surge that you might have to deal with here? Uh, that concern is much, much lower now, now that we have these vaccines that appear to be quite effective against all variants. But of course, you don't know. Uh, as we continue to not vaccinate the world, uh, we can have variants that pop up anywhere. And Newark Airport is an international airport that has flights coming from India all the time, coming from Asia and many other places where people are under vaccinated. And so we have to do this commission. It is a necessity. It's a no brainer because we have to be prepared for the next pandemic. And we're not quite there yet as a country, despite all the progress we've made. I want to ask you about variants. We've heard about uh, several of them since the start. You mentioned Great Britain. Delta, South South Africa, New York. What have we learned about how these variants change the virus and what that does when you're trying to treat people? So viruses evolve just like any other organism evolves. And so the thing about viruses are that every single person it infects, you have millions and millions of replications of that virus. And so the opportunity for a mutation that happens to be one that makes the virus more transmissible or more severe goes up. The more you, not, the more you do not control the spread of the virus, the higher the likelihood that one of these variants will form. And so vaccinating our country, but also vaccinating the entire world is the most effective way to prevent one of these scary variants from forming in the first place. So it sounds like the longer it takes for people to get vaccinated, the more likely it is that another variant can pop up that might potentially be more dangerous. Absolutely. And that's been the story of every single variant of concern we've had from the beginning. 
South Africa is a very under-vaccinated country when that variant formed. Uh, obviously, India had the world's worst surge of COVID-19, and out of that surge came the Delta variant, which we're all concerned about. The UK also, uh, that variant arose when we didn't have vaccines at all. And so I think that is the most important variable, not only to protect yourself, but for the risk of a vaccine-resistant variant of COVID-19. What have you learned about not just treating this illness, but in terms of preparedness since this started? We've learned the most important thing you can do is to prevent yourself from getting it in the first place. We've done a lot of work and learned a lot about how to treat COVID-19 at every stage, even if you have severe illness. And so I don't want to undermine the progress we've made there, in particular dexamethasone and certain things uh, you do to manage a patient on a ventilator gets that patient off a ventilator more effectively. Uh, but again, you don't want to be in that position in the first place because there is no blockbuster antiviral yet. We have therapies that are effective, but nothing that is ironclad. And so again, the message from a public health standpoint is get vaccinated. And if you're not, take precautions because you are still at risk for getting this disease. We met with Dr. Elnahal on a day this week that New Jersey Senator Robert Menendez was promoting an effort in Congress to establish a commission to study the pandemic response. The title of his recent op-ed in the New York Times was, There Will Be Another Pandemic. Are We Prepared for It? Supporting that call for a commission was a young woman named Pamela Addison from nearby Waldwick, New Jersey. She lost her husband, Martin, to COVID last year. He was just 44 years old. What do you think of this, Bill? I think it's a really great idea because so many families didn't get closure. I'm haunted by the fact my husband died alone. I couldn't be with him because it was the start of the pandemic. So I feel like it will give me some closure that I'm yearning for that I haven't had. What has this whole experience been like for you? It's been horrible. Um, When he died, I had a five-month-old and a two-year-old. So I've become a solo parent to two very young children. I've had to, like, recreate my life that I thought I was going to have with him. So I'm just really trying to pick up the pieces still. And I've created a Young Widow and Widowers of COVID Facebook group to help support other widows like me because I felt so alone at the beginning and I didn't want anyone else to feel like they were alone in this. How does that help? I mean, just being able to talk to someone who understands what you went through and just you, you say something and you're, they know what you're talking about. And I felt like people, although I was very supported, just didn't understand the trauma I went through when my husband was in the hospital until the, he took his last breath. So, I'm not sure how closely you follow politics, but it's hard to get something like this passed in Congress. It seems there's always resistance. For members of Congress who might say, eh, why do we need this? Why is it important? What do you tell them? Because there are 600,000 families who need answers and who have lost someone they love more and more than anything in this world. And I feel like we deserve closure. How much would this change things for you? I just think it would just provide us with the answers that we're all wondering. Because when we, I have Zoom calls with other widows, all the questions that we don't know the answers to like, are the ones that are gnawing at us and kind of like keeping us back from grieving properly and moving forward with our lives. So this would help us move forward. Tell me about your husband. 
Um, so he was a healthcare worker. He was a speech pathologist at St. Joseph's Medical Regional Center in Patterson. And um, he was exposed right at the beginning of this pandemic. And he was an amazing dad, amazing husband, and he's was an amazing friend. So he's missed by so many. And I want my children to know that he had such an impact. And you know what? My children need to know what happened to their papa. So I feel like that is the biggest reason why this thing should get passed for the children. University Hospital President and CEO Dr. Sharif Elnahal is also supporting this call for a national commission on the pandemic. He says so we can be prepared for the next one. From the hospital's perspective, what have you learned? I mean, we've learned so much. Uh, in addition to just how to treat COVID-19 better, uh, we've learned how to better prepare ourselves for COVID-19 or any pandemic should it come. Now, we have 90 days worth of PPE sitting in that building right there. We didn't have that, of course, before. Uh, we have a pandemic response plan that is much more robust than the one we had before. But I can tell you, we can do everything we can at the hospital level, at the county level, local government, state level, without a large, comprehensive federal investigation of what happened in this pandemic and what needs to change from a federal standpoint. We will simply not be prepared for the next pandemic. The Biden administration has been focusing on the acute crisis. Remember that the president was inaugurated when we had record case numbers happening in this country. So they've rightly focused on the current crisis. What we need is an independent commission that is bipartisan, that is apolitical, that looks at the problem on its merits and generates recommendations that we can all benefit from. And that's what Senator Menendez is calling for. You uh, use the term bipartisan, which is something that seems to be hard to come by these days. For those who say, I don't know, do we need this? We're wasting our time. It's a political witch hunt, coin phrase that we've heard before. How do you convince them, yes, we need this? The first thing I'll say is that the 600,000 people who died from this disease did not only constitute one particular political party or another. They were across the spectrum. They were Americans of all types and residents of these countries, of this country, uh, with, of course, a varying degree of political ideology. So this virus does not discriminate politically. That's the most important point. The second point is that as the legislation is drafted, Senator Menendez, it is by definition bipartisan. It is codified to be bipartisan. Five Democrats, five Republicans, representatives, not just from healthcare expertise or uh, political leadership, but, you know, experts in science, economics, and other factors that had a lot to do with COVID-19 and its effects. And so I think it's perfectly structured, perfectly envisioned. We just need to get past uh, politics that are sh that's short-sighted and just get this thing done. Speaking of skepticism, there are people who don't want to get the vaccine still. How do you convince them? And if they haven't been convinced yet, can you get to them? I mean, the first thing I'll mention is that there are a lot of understandable sources of skepticism around vaccination uh, in communities of color in particular, given the history of medical racism. But, you know, legitimate concerns about the speed at which, uh, you know, these vaccines were developed, record speed. Uh, what I will tell you is that we are now in a situation where almost 180 million people in this country alone, not even counting people globally, have taken this vaccine with no notable severe adverse events except for six clotting syndromes associated with just Johnson & Johnson that were not definitively linked to that vaccine. And then for the rest, really nothing but allergic reactions, which are easily treatable. And so I just implore everyone to look at the data in front of them 
based on the entire country which has been vaccinated up to almost 70% at this point. These are safe vaccines. You should not be concerned about safety with these vaccines. There is no uh, evidence that there should be a level of concern that causes you not to take it. In fact, the most risky thing you can do with your health right now is to not take this vaccine because you're exposed to the Delta variant, you're exposed to any form of COVID, which you can still get sick from and die from. So please get vaccinated. I suspect this has been a challenging 16 months for your team here. How, how are you doing here? I appreciate you asking that question because uh, behind uh, the senator and I today were, of course, family members of people who lost their lives, but also frontline healthcare workers. You had our, uh, you know, statewide president of our nursing union and nurses surrounding her and other healthcare heroes. You know, these folks bore the brunt of this. Not only did they experience loss, they got sick themselves, they had loved ones who got sick, maybe passed away, but they were dealing with this disease every day. They were going into patient rooms despite the risk to themselves and saving lives from the beginning. And it was my job to protect them to the degree that I could. Uh, but, you know, the psychological morbidity, the you know, post-traumatic stress that came out of this is really significant. And so we've tried to connect people to psychosocial services, chaplaincy, peer-to-peer support to help. But another major reason not to, not to experience what we did last spring is to prevent the stress on healthcare workers, which is a systematic risk, by the way, because people are fleeing these professions in ways they never had before. And so we are at risk for a healthcare workforce shortage that will impact everybody's health in this country if we don't do something about it. Are people taking advantage of these services that are being offered? Yes, they are. So uh, phones are still ringing off the hook for these things. Uh, People's schedules are filling up with our own employees. And so I think it's important to recognize that, that the stress isn't only in the moment. It didn't only last until, you know, just a couple weeks ago when we had vaccination rates that really started to get case levels down. It will last for years to come. And so uh, I can't emphasize the importance of mental health, behavioral health infrastructure, Uh, getting more incentives in place to get more of these professionals trained and in the workforce. That is to everybody's benefit, but in particular, the healthcare workforce. Do you think that potentially is a silver lining here that, uh, I don't know if there was a stigma, but if there was, it removes it and the doors are open for people to take advantage of these services? I think people have done a good job in the last several years, actually, in trying to remove the stigma around substance use disorder treatment and, to some extent, mental health treatment. But we need to follow those words and that better narrative with real action from a policy standpoint to uh, make that infrastructure stronger, to get more people into that workforce, to make access an easier thing, especially for vulnerable communities, and to get more services covered by insurance. The fact is, more and more behavioral health providers are only taking cash for their services services now because uh, the reimbursement is paltry from payers and payers don't cover the care to the degree that they should. And so we need federal policy, state policy in place to just make that infrastructure better. How serious a concern is potential next surge or new surge? Uh, It's concerning. And, you know, the concern is really around the chance if this virus continues to spread here, but also globally, that a vaccine-resistant variant forms. If a vaccine-resistant variant forms, we will fill up again. And I will tell you, it was only because of the vaccines that we didn't fill up again over the last couple of months. We've had people younger with COVID-19 coming in because of the alpha variant and the delta variant. It's infecting younger people. It's making people more sick than they otherwise would have. The elderly population was largely unaffected only because they've been vaccinated. And so 
we have to really start to focus as a country on how to vaccinate not only ourselves, but the entire world. Dr. Earl Hall, thank you. Thank you. Our thanks to Peter Haskell and Dr. Sharif Elnahal from University Hospital in Newark, New Jersey. 880 In Depth is a production of WCBS News Radio 880. Peter Haskell and myself are the executive producers. Listen to us weekly. Subscribe to it if you'd like for your audio on demand, and you can listen on your time. Just search for 880 In Depth wherever you get your audio. Thank you for listening, and as always, please be safe. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.